I believe wholeheartedly in the power of literature to save the world because you can learn everything you need to know about life through literature. Hello and welcome to AI Arts In, our podcast about arts and culture, sponsored by Creative Pinellas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and with me is Maureen McDowell, who is a poet and a writer and entrepreneur of great arts education and writing programs. Maureen, as we were walking up, you said something that was so interesting to me. You said, I feel like we're in a story. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, good question. I think we're all narrating our lives as we go. I have a poet's mind and it's just the way that I choose to see the world. And um, as we were coming up the stairs here, it just felt like something I was reading in a book. So, And I just came from a conference with my daughter's teacher. My daughter's going into middle school and I'm encouraging her to focus on art. And I asked her teacher if that would be a disservice because she's doing so well in all these other areas. And she said, actually, absolutely not. Creativity is the highest form of learning in Bloom's taxonomy. So my whole head just exploded and that's like my new platform now. So that's why it's so wonderful what you do with Creative Pinellas. Oh, thank you. So when you were coming up the stairs, was it, when you say you were in a story, was it like, and she's walking up the stairs or, wow, look at all these elements of, uh, of the world and how am I experiencing them? I, I don't hear um, dialogue. I don't hear setting. It's more like how the space feels. And um, it felt, you know, going up the stairs, um, moving into some, th some kind of higher experience or, you know, uh, we're going to have some adventure, you know, like an, a treehouse kind of feel. So Swiss Family Robinson, I don't know. Yes, that. So exper <laughs> experiential. Though. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I kind of look at every, I try to live really present moment. Like I'm not thinking about the rest of my day at all. I'm not thinking about the rest of the year. I'm just right now present in this moment. And if when you live like that, the every moment is so wide and, and I mean, when I eat, I'm enjoying it, this tea conversation, everything. So it also makes you uh, edit a lot more. Like you don't allow things into your life that, um, don't nurture you. So, so you are a poet. Yes. That's the rumor. <laughs> well, you, you have a number of books published too. Yes. And I do. Exploring My Options came out in 2006 and um, Longing for the Deep End came out in 2011. I am long overdue for another book. So um, the next book is forthcoming. So is it, does it have a theme or? Uh, no, not yet. I have more than enough poetry. Uh, the, I just need to edit the poems down and, and get them together. But my writing process has changed. It used to be, I wrote religiously every single day, three pages in my journal. I actually got out of that for a little bit uh, with starting Keep St. Pilate, but now I'm getting back into it regularly. Um, the poets, the poems don't come in the same way that they used to, so you know you have to be flexible when you're uh, persevering in life. So I had to kind of um, be okay with the writing process changing, but but I have been in a huge state of flux in the last four years with growing this organization and my marriage ending with the person I was with most of my life and raising a child on my own. So I can, you know, cut myself a little slack. I don't ever want to come across as somebody who's really frazzled and doing too much. And, and I was thinking about that, taking my daughter to school today. I don't ever want to be the mother that's rushing or we're in a big hurry because you miss out, you know, in life. So I try to 
I've tried to learn how to have balance in that. So, but that also allows so much more room for creativity too. So, cause that's where it happens in the quiet spaces, really. So when did you realize you were a poet? Well, um, I've always written. I read, I grew up in an alcoholic home. I'm the oldest of four children. So I always read to escape my experience and the home. And I always wrote to process my emotions, but I didn't really take it seriously. It's just something I did. Um, and then I actually studied pottery in North Carolina throughout my whole twenties. But towards the end, um, I'm a minimalist, except for my books, <laughs> but to create all this pottery and then have to lug it around and take it places and, and, and creating more stuff in the world really turned me off. But I was writing words on all my pots and I got married at the end of my twenties and, um, I got kind of got everything that I wanted. I had a pottery studio. I got married. I had a craftsman house in Asheville, North Carolina, and I was unhappy and I was just writing a lot, like, why am I so unhappy? What's going on? Doing a lot of like meditation, praying, whatever. And uh, I got a poem one day and it just shook my world. And I had done poetry. I went to a college in North Carolina, Warren Wilson College. That's how I ended up there because I'm born and raised here in 95. And we actually did, we had to do five poems for the class. And the fact that I could get so much information in such a condensed space totally appealed to the type of mind I have because I have a very very large broad visionary mind but I like things done really efficiently which actually translates really well to being an executive director for an organization because you can come up with these big ideas but then you immediately go to the simplest most impactful and effective way to you know create them so I've been in flux I've been growing this organization and now it's settling down I feel like I've been building a foundation for the last four years. So I created my own reality that's now, after four years, you know, almost sustaining me. Well, I want to talk about your organization, but I want to wait just a little bit longer because I am so intrigued. It sounded like when you were talking that there was a first poem. Yes. Very specific for mm-hmm. you. Tell me about that first poem. Well, I can just recite it. It's Fantastic. The only, it's the only poem. Well, I have another one kind of memorized, but... Um, it came out completely formed like this, and uh, it's called We Are. Uh, we are a piece of infinite things, one blade of grass, one color of a rainbow, one leaf on a tree after winter has passed. We are part of all that is. Our eyes reflect galaxies, stars upon stars. The depth of the ocean is but the length of our arms. Our cells are from asteroids. Our skin is but grains of sand. The whole universe is on the palm of our hand. Wow. And when I got that poem, I was like, what the hell is this? Like, and I, it was after like the dark night of the soul. I've had, I was telling somebody last night who's going through just closing of the business, like just all this upheaval. And I was just like, listen, I have been through the dark night of the soul where you're on your knees cursing the heavens so many times and you'll get through it but that you know I'm learning now when I'm in that space to just be a little patient because something you know if you think of a seed you have to plant the seed into the dirt and you don't see the shoots for a while and the seed dissolves like explodes it becomes something completely different than what it was to become this plant so when you're in that space you know 
drink lots of tea, take hot baths, I guess, you know, binge watch, whatever. So it but, almost sounds like that first poem was, it, it, and I use this word with quotes, um, it, but it almost sounds like it was a mystical experience. It was. I've had many, actually. I actually have, to be really honest, several a week, just moments of complete awe where I tear up. And do those usually stimulate a poem or? Sometimes, sometimes, um, usually, I don't know, I, I, I try to, I, I like being in that space where I'm uh, open to inspiration. It's important to me, like guarding, I don't like the word guarding, but you know, I know now and I have practiced enough to know what works to keep me healthy and keep me, you know, growing up in a, in a dysfunctional household and my marriage ended because of alcoholism. So growing up in an environments of just trauma, you, I mean, most of my life has been working on getting myself balanced and healthy, you know, I mean, every one of my role models growing up are either battling addiction or married someone who is addicted. And we did not socialize outside of my immediate family environment. We're a huge Irish Catholic family. So, and to be the oldest granddaughter, like the oldest person, and, and to be somebody so, you know, a poet who's aware of everything. I mean, poet, poets, we're aware of all the subtleties in life. And to be that tuned, to be that recipe, it was not easy. It's mm -hmm. still, challenging but i've learned how to do it you know i've learned how to play the instrument that is me i guess you know to be poetic i mm. guess and that's that's really important and i love that image of you as an instrument mm -hmm. um, we all are we all are i mean some people like some people are electric guitars and like to be really loud and be grandstanding on stage i mean everybody's different we all have different recipes and and i think the exciting thing about life is figuring out what works for you and what doesn't. Some, sometimes, I think in the writing experience for any writer, there is the inspiration and that sort of mystical feeling of almost like you're plugged in, like mm -hmm. you, you just plugged into the socket and all that force and power and creative energy just is coming through you because it was there and you plugged in. There's also what I call either pipe laying or heavy lifting mm -hmm. or, you know, it's, it's much more practical work. Mm -hmm. Talk, do you have that process in your poetry as well? Well, I think anything that you want to do well, you have to show up for. And it's like a good relationship. Like you have to nurture that relationship. Like if you're dating somebody and you never call them, <laughs> it's like if you don't show up for your writing, you're not showing up for that relationship. So you know, show up on the page and it's, it's like keeping the, you know, the, the wheels greased, you know, and the more that you're in that space, the more, if you want to use the word muse goes, Oh, they're taking this seriously. Let's reward them. Let's reward them. Let's reward them. You know, and, and you have to love it to be a writer. I mean, I, I spent six years being a stay at home mom and a poet, the two m most undervalued, but I believe most important things in the world. <laughs> and, everyone's like, when are you going to get a real job? Like, really? I'm raising this human and I'm writing poetry. Like, but I showed up for it. Like I, I still show up for my writing and, and I know how valuable it is. And you got to get a writing practice. Like some people like to write in the morning. Some people like to write at night. Some people like to write on a computer. Some people like to write by hand. Like you, you have to figure out what works for you and then you just do it. And you 
learn like I read every writing book there was until they were all saying the same thing you know my my weakness is grammar my parents were getting divorced when I was learning grammar and so I my first poetry book is riddled with like it's and it's apostrophe being wrong you know like I didn't know and it's just I had to forgive myself because that's in print forever until I do a reprint but I didn't know you know and even you know looking back at my first poem some of them are very juvenile, but at the time I felt that they deserved a voice and I, you know, I've grown and changed, but I still honor it. I don't go, oh, that book, you know, there's still poems in there that I read and people come up to me and they're just like, that poem just meant so much to me. Even, and sometimes they're the simplest ones. There's, Mm -hmm. there's no flowery language They're They rhyme like all the bad things to do in poetry. They're the ones that resonate with people. So what you said about they deserve a voice, I think that's really important, and, and especially right now. It's And I think one for myself, one of the issues that I hear sort of underneath that, the subtext of the politics is who deserves a voice and what deserves a voice and, and how do we bring life to those voices. So I think for me this is a good segue to one of the things that you do in, in Keep St. Pete Lit, which is you create environments where people can have a lot of opportunity to learn and do writing practice. Well, we just did uh, the total of what we have accomplished in 2016, and I was so in it, I didn't realize that we just offered 100 writing classes at the Morian Arts Center. So um, we have about 34 teachers that have worked with us, an NEA award-winning writer that's teaching a two-hour workshop, and they're only $10. So we are offering these unbelievable, I mean, it's like a brain trust of of talent for you know ten dollars and i go into some of our not some of them all of our classes and i walk out changed and i don't go to as many of them as i should because um i no i won't say that i go to as many as i am meant to go to because i'm a mother and i'm running the organization and i'm going to all these other events but when i do go to these classes i'm just like i look at my my brain changes like i'm we have this kind of talent pool that are teaching with us and the Morian Arts Center, you know, they give us that space in kind, which is unbelievable too. The bookstore in there also. And I think just that collaborative element, not only between our teachers, but these art and, you know, institutes. I mean, the Morian's celebrating their centennial this year. Um, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> so so um, you offer these classes as part yes. of your organization, Keep St. Pete Lit. Yes. So every organization has a, well, everything has a beginning, middle, and end. But let's go to the beginning of Keep St. Pete Lit. Tell me how it came, how, how did it come to be? Well, um, as I said, my first poetry book came out a decade ago. So I, I watched the evolution of the art, the poetry scene here. And there was like scattered open mics and... I had actually tried to get into the Festival of Reading to read as a self-published author, and the board actually met. I sent them this really, this letter about Henry Rollins is self-published, Ani DeFranco does all her albums, um, Virginia Woolf was self-published, and the board met. But they were like, we're not quite ready for self-published authors. Now it's indie authors. But you got to think about Facebook came around in 2008, so the whole, like, internet surge social media is really a new phenomenon which changed the entire publishing world so i was a little ahead of the curve with self-publishing and the only reason i really did that was because i wanted creative control and i was married to a graphic artist so 
it just made sense to me, do it, the do-it-yourself model. And basically, I just watched what, what I wanted, what I needed as a writer. And we were doing this poetry showcase at the Morian, actually, in 2013. I was asked to do it. And I really wanted to make sure that we had all different types of poets represented, all different types of sexual orientations, all different ways of actually, you know, saying poetry, spoken word, read from the page, different ages, races. And after the, people stayed for like three hours. And after it, Peter Mikey's wife, Jean, she actually said this was like an art event. And there was something in my brain that spoke because I didn't want, I'm not drawn to, I call them white wine literary events. It's just everybody's like, it's all about credentials and it's everybody reads and you're just sitting there for two hours and it, that bores me to death. I want something dynamic. So I uh, actually contacted Peter Gallagher, who runs the Florida Folk Show, because uh, he's tied in with the Jack Kerouac house and about maybe you doing a literary event there. And he, he said, well, why don't you contact Margaret Murray? And she is tied in with the Jack Kerouac house. And Margaret basically said, well, what's your interest? And I said, you know, I'd like to create a, maybe a compliment to the festival of reading. I don't know. I just was brainstorming. And she says, well, I have this wonderful business plan for this organization called Keep St. Pilate. This is like three minutes into the conversation. Let me email it to you. And so she gave me this whole business plan for the organization. And I'm sorry, how did she have? She have was going to Savannah College of Art and Design for art management. And she, this was one of her one of her school projects. So she, came, Margaret Murray, you know, she's big in the community here. She, like three minutes in the conversation, basically gave me the organization's name. And she was on our founding board. And um, but. I don't know if I ever really looked at the business plan that much more than the name. <laughs> I mean, we got some ideas, but uh, there was such a void in the literary scene here when we started. The first year was just trying every different type of thing to see what would work. You know, we did 16 events between August and December. Um, the only one that's really consistently stayed, I would say, is our book drive with the Christmas toy shop. We collected. 800 children's books this this past Christmas. So that's the only main thing that stayed. We still do some um, local author events, but it was just fine tuning and seeing what works and what, I won't say what makes money because <laughs> that was never the leading force behind it. It was just the thing that had the most impact. So what is the mission of Keep St. Pete Lit? Well, right now it's going around to pro provide an um, approachable, engaging literary component to St. Pete's vibrant art scene. But the other, it's all part of the one mission, but the other was to promote the literary past and the, you know, the literary present and future of the greater St. Pete's. Basically, I would be going to art events and art um, meetings and they would talk about the visual and the performing arts in St. Pete and I would scream, and the literary arts. I mean, when I go to New York City to visit my daughter's family, I go to the bookstores. Like I do literary travel, like uh, National Geographic has a whole part of their blog called Intelligent Travel. Like you can't have a vibrant art scene without a strong literary component. Like you just can't. And to say you're an arts town and not have that other than just a few scattered open mics that, you know, that you're not, you're not creating that. So I was actually thinking of it. I was at an event last night and I was like, wow, like it's really cool that we've created this literary reality, you know, and we've been so embraced. The MFA, we're the Museum of Fine Arts Book Club. The Morian allows us to do our writing classes there. Now we've just started as the, doing a poetry open mic at the Studio 620. 
the Iberian Rooster, we have a storytelling open mic there. Uh, you know, the Meta Center is a local um, spiritual center where we do a silent read and write in. So all of these existing organizations have opened their homes to us and let us use their space and also their resources and helps promote. So, you know, my motto right now is collaboration is the new business model, you know, that that we all kind of work together to do things and share resources. It's 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 more impactful to the community, but it's also less impactful to the environment. If multiple organizations are using one building, you know, they're the, with the Morian, they, the library space that we um, use for the majority of our writing classes, they use twice a month. Hmm. So, and what's wild is I walked into the space and I was like, this feels like home. And my father says, Maureen, your brother and I built the bookcases in there 10 years ago. You don't remember. And it's like, so it's, I'm basically like, running writing classes in around bookcases full of art books that my father and brother built. So that's kismet, you know, there's a lot of that in life. So. Keep St. Pete Lit has a book club, poetry open mic, storytelling activities, writing classes. You called it a silent read-in, write-in. There was, um... A bunch of press about reading parties, silent reading parties. People were going to bars and just sitting as a group and reading. In that hour and a half time, no one talks. The cell phones are put away. And I read 50 pages in my book and wrote six pages in my journal. And I actually started tearing up because to be in that almost communal, I don't want to use the word church, but just that kind of quiet space with other people. And just to be able to sit for an hour and a half uninterrupted and read and write. It was so powerful. And everyone else was like, this was so, I haven't read this much in six months. And it, you know, just to create that kind of space once a month that people can come. Sure. It sounds lovely. Yeah. I was thinking, wow, it's almost like a yoga class for the mind. We we do that for ourselves. We go to exercise classes or whatever. Let's make America think again. (laughs) (laughs) So um, there's some other things that you do. Uh, In fact, uh, you have an event where you bring uh, visual arts and, and literary arts together. The fantastic ekphrastic. Ekphrastic is writing about art. It's a, it's a literary term. Writers pick which piece calls to them. So we get plays, we get fiction, we get poetry. And the art is on the wall. It's all different types of art. And then the actors are acting out the writing while you're seeing the visual. And it just creates this multi-sensory experience. And also... Artists and writers and actors are intermingling where they, you know, you would not normally cross paths. And now we're seeing it all over the place, the merging of the art and the writing. And it's just more of a dynamic art experience. Last year, it funded our writer-in-residence. We started the St. Petersburg Writer-in-Residency at the Craftsman House Gallery. We brought someone from New Orleans here for two weeks to write uninterrupted, and they get a stipend and their room and board is paid. We're getting people from all over the country submitting. And then they do a reading there, and that's during our Sunlit Festival, which is the two-week literary festival that we took over from the St. Peter Alliance. So they'll be doing a reading and teaching a masterclass workshop during the Sunlit Festival. The Sunlit Festival, basically, we now have the Palladium on board. The MFA is letting us go into their photography archives, and we are, coll- we are selecting 
eight writers to write about groupings of 10 photos each. And the photos are unbelievable that are not normally shown. And they're going to perform it in Carousel, which Todd Bates is a local artist here. That's his event. Where they're going to read their writing with these images behind it at the MFA. And then the MFA is going to turn it into a two-month exhibit. So that's going on. Oh. The Palladium's on board. They're bringing the original jazz singer that inspired Jack Kerouac here. And they want him to teach a class with us. We're going to have Rogue Dance is going to do an event at the Gulf Coast Museum of Art. The Art Exchange is involved. The kickoff party is at Chihuly Gallery. Like, it's all the art organizations are involved to create the Sunlit Festival. So Fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, it's just fun. Let's say you are inside Pinellas County. How do you get involved with Keep St. Pete Lit? Well, you know, you can go to our website, keepstpetelit.org, and sign up for our newsletter. That's what I recommend. That goes out usually weekly and tells you all the different events we have. If you're on Facebook, you can join our Keep St. Pete Lit writers group. We're almost to 400 members now. And that is where we post a lot of information about writer deadlines, submissions, or writer's classes. Come to our classes. Um, we have classes. We have 13, about an average 13 a month. We have um, online classes. Um, you can come to our poetry open mic. We have our storytelling open mic. Our book club is the second Thursday of every month at the Museum of Fine Arts. We're kind of covering all the literary gamuts. So... I don't want to say we're like the one-stop literary shop, but, you know, we're trying to cover all the bases. So if you are a literary person, you can find something that you need and like. And if somebody wanted to read or listen to more of your poetry? Oh, that's a good question. Well, yes, (laughs) they are for sale at Haslam's Bookstore and at the Morian Arts Center, our book space, and there will be copies of it there. But yes, at Haslam's Bookstore, which that was one of the biggest moments of success in my life was when they said, sure, we will hold your poetry books here because my father's been taking me there since I was a child. That was, um, if I could put that on my resume (laughs) in Haslam's bookstore, it would be like number one probably. So, And the poetry that you're working on now, any specific poem that really is intriguing to you that uh, you feel good about and want to talk about a little bit? Um... I have a poem I wrote about my grandmother. She passed away this summer. Her name was Lorraine. I'm, my name is Maureen Lorraine McDowell. I'm the oldest granddaughter. I grew up, uh, I am a Florida native. My grandfather was born in a carnival. He started a huge fishing business. It's still going in Johns Pass, Hubbard's Marina. So I grew up in this really dynamic, carny fisherman family um, that basically created their own rules because during that time period, there was maybe one cop on the beach. So my mother grew up in an environment where their their house is at the base of the, the ramp of the Don Cesar. You I mean, you look out the window and you see the Don Cesar. So I grew up with the image of a pink castle. <laughs> and... Um, my mother grew up in the environment where it was like once you were seven, you could go south of the Don Cesar by yourself. So my grandmother was this unbelievable force of nature. Like in the poem, it says Faye Dunaway should play you, uh, you know, if in your in a movie of your life. But she's 93 when she died. And after my grandfather passed, she kept company with priests and gay men. <laughs> and um, she was very opinionated and strong-willed so um she was a a matriarch in a great american novel definitely so that's what the poem it was actually written in the middle of the night on her while she was uh, on her deathbed in michigan and um that's one of the poems but um they're all different they all have their different personalities uh poems let you know what they need to say 
And my role is just to kind of transcribe them and not impose my ego too much on it. I think that's where writing can get ruined. I think the first process is really just the creative. The sensor doesn't really belong. That's Those are later processes. But people can really, like, just kill it, you know. So there's a ping I get. Like, there's a feeling when I know a poem's done, when I hear it out loud. I know that it's where it wants to be, you know. It's not different. It's not that different to parenting. Well, it's interesting because I know that's something that a lot of artists do struggle with is how you know when the work is done. Mm -hmm. Well, and I also have a curious mind, so I don't want to spend the next four years on one poem. You know, like I've already moved on to a new thought. I'm, I'm also not sending my poetry out to be critiqued. I'm not a professional poet. I, I like the idea of being a local poet. And also, like I say, like my past Maureen heals my present Maureen's. I hear some of my poetry as a way to like guide myself in my life too. So poems that I wrote a long time ago still like resonate now. They have a place, uh, it may be just locally. I mean, I probably could have a larger reach, but I'm not that ambitious. <laughs> but you are working on a new book. I am working, it's, it's pretty much done. I just need to put it together. But poetry never dies, so they're not really old. <laughs> I believe wholeheartedly in the power of literature to save the world. My child is in fifth grade and I just had a conference and her teacher said she's reading it at eighth grade level and she's scoring off the charts on everything else and I was just thinking like she was just raised in an environment of art, you know, like like when we go to art events she knows where the food table is, you know, like I, I, I rarely help her with her homework, like I didn't I, I just raised her in an environment of creativity and she's scoring off the charts in her, you know, that could be um, her actual like programming and recipe, like uh, to be a, an intelligent human. But I, you know, reading at an eighth grade level when you're f in fifth grade, like that's because books were in front of her. And I think that you can, you know, six minutes of reading lowers your stress levels by 60%. You can learn we're actually starting a book club at the St. Pete Greenhouse, which is like our business center here, about what leaders are reading literature. And, you know, not these how-to business books, because you can learn everything you need to know about life through literature. And it slows you down. It takes you out of your environment. It, it puts you in other people's shoes. You're empathetic. You travel the world. And it's just this thing that you could let you, some books you can put in your pocket, like how valuable and amazing that is to to experience life. You can live multiple lives through reading. So, and, and just set aside, it's a, now with, we're so inundated with social media and online stuff, it's a, it's a practice. You have to, you know, join a book club. If you're reading one book a month, that's good. You know, but then when the book ends, you're gonna feel so changed and good, you'll pick up another book and you just keep reading. That's the best advice I can give everyone because it, it'll change your life, it will. How's that? that is, Read and write on. That is good. <laughs> and thank you for having me. Thank you, Maureen McDowell, for joining mm. us. This is Barbara St. Clair from Creative Pinellas. You've been listening to Arts In, also known as AI. And uh, thank you and look forward to uh, additional podcasts where we'll have wonderful conversations. And please feel free to go to our website at creativepinellas.org for more information about Creative Pinellas and for more great arts stories. Thank you. You've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast. 
sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley, and you can hear more of their great work and some wonderful conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists at our website, creativepinellas.org. This is Barbara St. Clair. Thank you for listening.